listening to the Ed Reach Network. Ed Gamer, episode 57 on Ed Reach, Jeff Holmes of Arizona State University. This is Ed Gamer for Saturday, June 23rd, 2012. Ed Gamer is part of the Ed Reach Network, edreach.us, giving education a voice. A big voice. That was Great. awesome. That was good. That's That's good. good. This, this show is dedicated to educational gaming on any platform. We'll give you the education angle on any type of games ranging from tabletops to MMOs. We'll discuss how these games impact student learning and how they can be used effectively within the classroom. I'm Zach. And I'm Jerry. And our guest today. Hi, uh, my name is Jeff Holmes. I'm with Arizona State University. You scared me there. <laughs> I, I, I try to throw people off at the beginning just to make sure you're get, keeping on get your out of your comfort there. zone early. Yes, exactly. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. I'm really looking forward to this. Okay, Jerry. Uh, my name is Jerry James, a visual arts teacher in Schaumburg, Illinois. And my name is Zach Gilbert, and I'm your host. I am a sixth grade social studies language arts teacher from Normal, Illinois. Well, Jeff, uh, why don't you give us a little bit of a background, because it seems that uh, you have some connections closer to us uh, than Arizona State, and uh, so you're actually from the Chicago area. I am, actually. Uh, I've been out here in Arizona, so I'm nearly a native to Arizona. I've been out here about 13 years now, but uh, originally from the Chicagoland area, in fact, from the suburbs. Uh, I used to work in Schaumburg, where, where Jerry teaches, <laughs> and lived in Bloomingdale, uh, for most of my young life and stuff, and my wife is also from uh, Roselle, uh, so we have we have deep ties to Illinois. And and uh, now you know it's June and it's 114 here or something. So now is a good time to be in Illinois. Uh, <laughs> yes. You know, if I if, if we ever do a follow up podcast and it's January or something, I will certainly rub that in that it's. <laughs> I'm sure. Here. It, it's only going to be 85, and humidity is not too bad today. Actually, nice, very nice. Sounds sounds great. I'm I'm jealous. I'm hiding in the house all day <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure so you are uh you were part of a, a group kind of it's it's not that old i think uh, uh dealing with games and learning out at arizona state what is that what is that group called and what what are you guys doing sure we're uh part of like you mentioned a, a brand new group at, at asu uh called the center for games and impact and uh it's started by uh james paul g and Sasha Barrow mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, some some guy. I don't know. Who's that guy? Some guy. He's always you know scowling at you. Um, <laughs> uh, Alan Gershenfeld also is sort of our industry folks. So what we what we look at is um, you know how can we use games to to think about some of the the things that are going on in the world. What kind of social impact can we have with games? Um, so you know looking at uh, things about like learning, things like social justice, things like public health. Um, what are the ways that we can we can use games or game-like um, features or or you know play-infused sort of learning to to think through some of these big problems and then sort of go address them? Well, very cool, very cool. Well, we'll get into that a little bit more. We're sure. going to talk about a little bit of news that has happened this week and kind of getting your thoughts on the new tablet by Microsoft called Surface. Right. So, what are your Jeff? What's your initial thoughts? Um, I am a, a tablet user. Um, I have an Android tablet. Uh, I have a, a uh, iPad through the center, which I actually kind of prefer. I, it pains me to say that because I'm not a Mac user at all, but or an Apple user at all. But uh, the iPad is pretty slick. But you know, the, one of the, the the big selling feature, I guess, of that Surface is that uh, built-in sort of keyboard. And it is yeah. something you know I've tried using uh, a tablet 
to take notes, you know, for classes or at presentations and stuff. And it, it the missing that that physical keyboard, that sort of tactile, even with the little buzz that an iPad does or something, you know, the little um, you know shake that it does as you type and stuff, just mm-hmm. isn't quite enough. I'm a sloppy typer to begin with, um, and typing, you know, on the virtual keyboard on a on a pad uh, to me just is never very satisfying and, and takes a lot longer and and, uh, and so. that's and that's a turnoff not only from uh well secondary teachers i would I'd guess more hmm. because you know how are content creation so typing is is difficult oh yeah you can get you know a keyboard bluetooth keyboard and connect sure. it and i've sure. tried that and it works just fine but uh i even hmm. even i've been discussing with students uh most high school students since have told me that they they like a tablet but not for typing and creation they really do not like it at all right so that was one of the points that because we're going one-to-one this fall and we have uh netbooks that we're going to Mm -hmm. and you know that was one of the big uh problems we were looking ipad or this and we're like well we want the keyboard so we turned away from it yeah this is interesting i'm looking at the picture right now i you know I, i have an ipad and i got the the zag you know keyboard thingy that my big problem is I have to still have to have a separate case because the keyboard case makes it so thick right, that I, you're practically carrying a laptop. Now this looks like obviously pretty thin. The mm-hmm. interesting part is it also has what looks to be like a trackpad mm-hmm. in there. So yes, it is. So okay, so we've got a touchscreen and a trackpad. It's kind of yeah. interesting. And this is a kind of a softer keyboard. I guess they have a, a another type of keyboard that's a little bit harder. Uh, like a harder shell that uh, so if you depending on what kind of uh, keyboard you want to use I um, you know this is something for me that and it, a lot of questions you know battery cost um, you know sure. Windows 8 is brand new so the tiles you know some people like it some people don't uh, it goes back and forth between the tiles and basically Windows 7 you know the old style what would be considered old style uh, operating system mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm looking at this as a productivity device, and if this works the way it should and the way I'd want it to, it can do everything that a computer can do um, and have extra additional, you know, apps on top of that. Yeah, yeah that, you know, that's, you, you hit on a really interesting point there, I think. A lot of what, what a lot of people think of when they think of tablets is sort of like an entertainment hub, right? You watch Netflix or you play games or anything. That right. productivity is the one thing that they, they do seem to be missing. So if the the Surface tablet uh, can sort of fill that gap, it, it really could be something that sets Microsoft's tablet apart. Uh, the other big one is, is price, like you said, that if it yeah. can compete in the, the price. You know, when thinking about that keyboard again, uh, one of the things that really bothers me uh, about typing on an iPad or on a, an Android tablet or something is, is the fact that you can't see through your hands. And mm-hmm. so when you're looking at the, you know, the, you're typing mm-hmm. on the screen and stuff, it, right. you know, screen, it, you know, you have maybe a third of the screen that you can actually see because the rest of it is this big honking keyboard that you're trying to type. <laughs> on. So you yeah. lose, you know, most of your screen just automatically because you pop, you know, you overlay this virtual keyboard on top of it. And then, you know, talking about productivity, that's, I mean, you can see two sentences that you wrote. I don't know. That bothers me. Yeah. There's going to be two, Types. There's going to be kind of a lower end, and I don't, I don't know if I'm going to say this right. Um, I don't know if it's an Atom processor or, or a different type of mobile processor. And <clears throat> I can see that being more, um, you know, it, it, more of a tablet type of or 
uh, like an iPad type device because it's it doesn't have some of the extra things that the higher end one does with the Intel processor and where it's got USB 3 um, you know it's got the HDMI I think both of them have the HDMI but it you can actually take that higher end one and connect it to you probably have some type of docking station and there there's your full-fledged computer yeah and uh, so you know it basically transforms from you know using it like a tablet and then having it as a full-fledged computer and the way I'm looking at it for games is you know I use just one example I talk about it all the time but civilization in the classroom I, I cannot stand the iPad version, the Civilization Revolution. I, I can't stand a lot of those games that are on the iPad. They do not transfer well. Mm-hmm. Um, so this would be able to do it. And I'd be able to do, um, you know, I think the web would work a lot better on this. Are they doing Flash? Because my, Apple's moving away, right? Yeah, they're moving to what? HTML5? Or- right. Yeah, but- and I think Microsoft's doing the same thing. Yeah. But I'm thinking I'd have an easier time getting to flash items on a so-called computer rather than a iPad. Very good Does point. that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think it's going to be able to do a lot more than what the iPad would be able to do. As another sort of aside, this isn't quite gaming related, but I think it's really interesting. I read a, an article yesterday. I'll see if I can find the link that maybe we can put in the show notes. But um, the, the cost of charging an iPad over the, yeah. the year um, the report said something along the lines of about a dollar sixty for the for a year, uh, whereas a you know a desktop computer or a laptop computer is about twenty times that. So you know if if you can really kind of replace a lot of your your desktop usage or your laptop usage with a, a tablet, um, you know it could be something that supports you know sustainable sort of computing and, and things that you know would really drive you know some of our adoption of technology more because right. like, look it's a dollar it costs you a dollar to, right. to charge this thing for a year i mean that's pretty that's pretty amazing I, no, that was ni- that was nice what were you saying jeff oh, i was just gonna say you know i i haven't dug through the the you know the assumptions that they made to get that but still you know it sips power compared to my monster desktop which has admittedly like three screens and you know <laughs> water cooled and all that sort of so you know i'm, yeah. I'm sucking down power here it's a it's a mini brownout in my house when I when I really <laughs> nice. It, it, it could be another feature that you know we talk about. You know, technology extends beyond just sort of the, the experience that you have while you're using it. it. It it hits on all these other things. You know how how we consume energy, how what kind of materials go into it to make it, yeah. and all those types of things. So I mean, those are important questions to be asking, yeah. about, thinking about when you're thinking about using this technology. Right. Anything else, Jerry? No. No, no. Hey, actually, have you guys seen the? Uh, this is completely sort of unrelated. Um, the uh, the little image that somebody put together with the Windows 8 tiles and AOL from like 1996. Have you seen the comparison of the two? It's awesome. No, it's yeah. the exact same thing. It's like oh, that's it's the old AOL tiles. And it, well, I'll I'll forward it on to you later. That's. Funny. I still have family members that use oh. the AOL portal. You know, like, you've got mail and everything. I mean, so I've been trying for like a decade to tell them, like, look, you can you can pass this. It's okay. That's They're not gonna send you any more free discs. That's that is <laughs> interesting. Hours in the mail. <laughs> I guess the the last part of this here is I'm I found the uh, features. That it's Windows RT is the lower end one. Then there's the Windows 8 Pro, and I think it's using. It doesn't show it on here, but I think they're using Ivy Bridge, mm. which is the newer Intel uh, chipset. 
and that actually uh, consumes a battery lasts a lot longer, a uh, lot less heat. Um, but I was looking at some of this here. What was it? Um, oh, it comes. The lower end one comes in 32 or 64. <clears throat> excuse me, gigabytes, and the higher end one comes in 64 or 128. Hmm. That's, That's a big getting one. a little bit more. And I wonder. Uh, because I know the uh, the new Macs, um, the what are they called? Shoot, the height, the Retina display. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the batteries are either glued in or soldered in or, or something. It's it, they're hard to get out. So it's going to be interesting when this actually comes out. People start tearing it down, looking at all the different parts, how it's made, you know, what batteries are being used and how it's being used. Um, it'll be interesting how if you can update and upgrade some of these things. Mm-hmm. You there? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know if you heard See, my. Uh, was, what's that? I'm a bad multitasker. I was I was pasting links into this thing and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's interesting. You know, I'm I consider myself sort of a power user. You know, I, like I said, I have a, a big honking desktop that that I have multiple screens going and stuff like that. So the idea that they're trying to hit multiple sort of, you know, markets, so someone who's going to use sort of the, the lower end iPad and, and or, uh, excuse me, Surface tablet, um, and, and one that maybe is a little more robust, I think is kind of interesting. You know, when you when you buy an iPad, you get an iPad. Um, right. Yeah, uh, you know, some of the Android tablets have kind of done it. You know, you can get a lower end uh, Android tablet or you can get one of the Transformer Primes or something like that. But but for a, a, a company to have, you know, two versions of sort of the same thing would be interesting. Now, Microsoft has a long history of confusing people with multiple, you know, no. you know, like, well, it's home <laughs> premium and it's home professional and it's home, you know, you know, Microsoft Windows, you know, and, and so you can lose some people. So here's another reason why it's really important to, to know something about technology before really jumping in and adopting it. I mean, this is what yeah. Apple does really well. They tell you what you want. Um, Microsoft, you know, has to fight some of that and give you options, but sometimes those options are, well, you know, and now they're making their own. Because yeah, they're making right, this, right. and you know, somebody was saying, "Oh, that's really going to upset the developers." Well, you know what? How long have they? How long have developers been trying to make tablets for Microsoft? Uh, the operating system, of course, has not been wonderful for that. Um, you know, but that goes all the way back in the early 2000s, and yeah, yeah. they haven't done it well. And it's just, I think they're just kind of thumbing their nose at them and saying, "Hey, you've had your chance. <laughs> now we're going to try it, right. and we're going to make it as the best that we can." And you know, I think eventually those developers will make them too, but they better make them at the high quality that Microsoft wants it, or they're just going to be, you know, out of luck. Yeah. So maybe it'll raise the bar for the rest of them. Uh, here's hoping. Because I, I, yeah. the tablet market, I think, is very interesting. Like I said, I've, I've used Android tablets. You know, I own an Android tablet. I've used iPads. And, um, you know, the potential is there. Uh, um, it hasn't fit what I needed to do quite yet. Uh, and so, you know, having... A, a new entrant in the market might be good. Maybe we'll see the, the water rise for everyone. Yeah. Well, uh, like I said, I think the potential's there, and especially for gaming in the classroom, I really like it because it, it just has – I think it's going to be able to do more than what just a plain iPad would be able to do. Uh, I think it would be able to do more at, for a student, not just for gaming, but also productivity. So I'm, I'm quite hopeful for it. We'll see. I could be – we could totally be uh, wrong, and it just blows up in their face. And could be. We'll see. But you know, Jerry. Yeah. You know, we came up with an idea a while back, didn't we? Um, 
We've come up with a lot of ideas. A lot of ideas. Uh, <laughs> I can't one, believe we haven't changed the world yet. Yes, uh, but one that uh, kind of I don't I doubt it was actually grabbed by them or taken by them from us, but uh, we had an idea that hey, uh, Valve, which is you know uh, a company that makes software, um, and they've they've put out a few a few good games out there, uh, Half Life, um, Team Fortress, which I thoroughly enjoy. And they have a, a prod, I guess, a digital store called Steam that you can download and install on your computer, and you can get access to all all different types of games, games that uh, Valve makes or ga- other games from other distributors. And they actually seem to have a pretty good monopoly on on uh, the digital gaming uh, purchasing uh, arena. And we came up with an idea back in April of 2011 and said, hey, you need to come up with this platform and just have it for education because I don't want uh, my students to be able to see all the blood and guts and inappropriate games that are out there and I just want them to have access to games that have been vetted by educators and we'd be able to download those, put those on student computers and we thought that was a great idea. So we had this, it was called an open letter to Steam, if you build it, Ed will come, education that is. And what was announced this week, Jerry? You know, I was going to add before you said that I, the importance, I think, of what we were talking about was not only not not just to give it a, a channel that has, um, you know, 15 versions of Math Blaster, but <laughs> but like a, a channel that allows some of the consumer driven products to also be available, essentially more of a filter than a channel. Right. Yeah. Like because we we're not talking about just designing all education specific things, but maybe things that could be related to education um, could be used in the classroom, you know, games. Right. Because it's not as we've discussed and I'm sure, Jeff, you've probably had many discussions with uh, those that you interact with at ASU and other conferences you go to. But it's it, usually the games that end up being the best for education aren't usually made for education. Absolutely. Yeah, that's very true. Um, you know, looking at AAA or even AA titles or, or anything in, in terms of how you can use them uh, in the classroom is is great but problematic, generally because you hit, you run into the thing like, how do you use Grand Theft Auto in your classroom when you have, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. a multiple vehicular homicide and, you know, <laughs> prostitutes and things like that. And yet it teaches some really amazing things. So Money management. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Got to yes. gotta have a budget. Yeah, got to have a budget. And the other thing is that, you know, um, uh, commercial games or, or you know, uh, big games are games that students are generally already playing. So if you can get them playing things that they already want to play uh, right. and then use those things to, to you know, uh, teach in the classroom or get them thinking about things in a different sort of way, uh, it can be very powerful. If you hand a kid, you know, Math Blaster, they're going to say, wow, math. Nope. But if you do something like, you know, Portal, which we're going to get to, um, you know, yeah. first of all, it's a fantastic game. The game itself oh. is excellent. And then it does all this other stuff. Right. So That's- so what Valve released today, and everybody was so excited about it. They, it's all over the web. Oh, Valve released this uh, great tool for educators, Teach with Portals. And basically it's uh, it shows how educators are using Portal 2 in the classroom. And, of course, they came out with the, their Puzzle Maker, which is basically a development tool where you can create your own – it is so cool. You create your own um, puzzle, uh, different level for within Steam or within uh, Portal 2. And, and then – 
get the educational, you know, I was talking to a physics teacher and then going through, uh, you know, you could actually have the students come up with, these are the different, I want you to show me friction, I want you to show, show me acceleration, I want you to show me these different aspects of, of what we learn in, in this physics class, and then show this in the puzzle that you create. And then the kids can make that and then show the teacher, I understand this uh, concept and I'm showing you here in this puzzle in this game portal 2 and it's there are I, there are millions of different puzzles out there I think that's what we've uh, we've seen before and so they basically have a download for teachers you have to go through a process you apply they kind of check and make sure hey you're an educator you're, you're part of a, a school and they'll give you a download and then you download a specific uh, steam app and the two games that you can download the two uh, applications you download are portal 2 and then the puzzle maker and they're both free and then you can put those on I don't know what the rules are I'm guessing if I have a lab I can you know have this on the computers in a lab and then the kids can come in and work on this um, so great concept great idea and it seems to be taking off absolutely you know one of the one of the things um, you know, one of the things I like so much about Portal, or, or even just this model in general, is it gives a, a, a chance for students to really, you know, actively engage in what they're they're learning. You know, one of the big problems with teaching something like say, math is that we teach math as if it's um, content and not a tool, right? So we teach, you know, you take a math class as if you're taking a history class, and you teach math. Uh -oh, I'm, I got a beep. I maybe I got cut off. Um, you, and so, you know, when you're when you're teaching math as if it were a, content, you know, you don't have the idea that you, you need some, you know, how does this work in your everyday world? And so something like Portal uh, or, or, you know, other games that let you actually build or create or, you know, uh, people use Second Life to, to think through geometry or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, it, it gives you the, the opportunity to sort of actually have real practical application of this stuff, to use that tool to, to then build something, to do something. So when you're trying to explain, you know, momentum or conservation of velocity, you know, something like that, you can really embody it. You can really do it rather than just make it sort of abstract concept and, and, and you know, content. So I, I think that's ridiculously powerful. Uh, yeah, and I'm looking at this, and I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm just looking at some of the lesson plans. Introduction to parabolas uh, with the puzzle maker. Spatial visualization and perspectives. Volume of figures... Uh, 2D nets and 3D figures in uh, an intro to Puzzle Maker. Building a simple harmonic oscillator. Gravity. Terminal velocity. Are you kidding me? I mean, this is this is awesome. This is awesome. Now, they have physics and math in here. Um, and this shows lesson plan subject. I see some that they have listed. They're grayed out because they don't have them yet. Chemistry, game design, language arts, and other. So you can submit a lesson plan within this. And uh, it could fit into one of these other areas. I think that's this is awesome. <laughs> I I see this as like middle of the road of everything we've talked about. Like this is not, you know, to go Jim G on you. This is not the chocolate covered broccoli of of uh, Math Blaster. This is not. Um, it, it's also not what we were just talking about finding. You know, which, which we heard, I heard a lot about at GLS, which was finding, instead of forcing things, finding the positives about what games teach. I almost see this as like right down the middle. Like this is kind of manipulating, you know, a popular game to to teach these skills, but not like sidestepping around the fact that you're teaching these skills. 
you know, right. kind of putting it out there right in front of you. It's interesting. Yeah. It's tough to do with a lot of other games, I think, but Portal was such such an amazing game that it was uh, easy to do with. Yeah, there's some games that just that fit it pretty well. So we get we have the link to teach with portals with Valve so from Valve. So if you're a science or or math teacher or even you know any type of teacher that li- likes to use games, look at this and play the game and, and sign up for this. Get it installed, play the game, and then maybe start uploading some uh, lesson recommendations. I think that'd be wonderful. And then, of course, we have our two. We have. I also put the link on there. An open letter to Seam. If you build it, Ed will come. And then a Gamer Nine, which we talked about Portal Two in the classroom. So that those are uh, those are some links that we'll have out there. So uh, Jeff, let's let's get back to because there was a lot that was discussed at GLS. What was your presentation about? Uh, I had a couple, and um, I talked. Uh, a little bit about uh, identity and and uh, games, especially through World of Warcraft. And the other one was about a visual sort of analysis, how we make meaning what, by what we're looking at. I'll, I'll talk about that one because I could spend you know hours on, on both. <laughs> mm. As my you know chair will. <laughs> That's so, the one um, I sat in on as well, the visual one. And I was really interested, and in, I I texted Zach while I was doing that, and I was like, we got to get this guy on the show. Yeah. Because I had never somebody coming from, and I told you this when I met you. You know, I come from the visual arts. I had never seen this kind of visual breakdown of a video game and analyzing. <clears throat> I, and I'll let you do it because you'll do it right. But analyzing <laughs> um, all these different parts, and I loved some of the, uh, you know, the iconography that you used with it. And so I'll let you talk about it. But it, it was great. I liked it. Sure, sure. Um, so yeah, you know, you you hit on something really kind of important there. Uh, it's something that I haven't seen a lot of. You know, we 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 spend a lot of time looking at video games, but you know, not thinking about what we're looking at. So let me qualify that a little bit. Um, you know, designers certainly think through how they build, um, uh, you know, the, the art they use, the assets they use, the interface and stuff like that. But, but in some ways it's, it's, it can feel like they're just trying to put things on there for you to use. I think it's really important to also think about, well, how do users sort of see that and how do they make that sort of meaningful, you know? So when you, when you sit down and you look at the screen, um, what's important to you and how do you know that it's important to you? So uh, I used uh, World of Warcraft and, and it's kind of problematic in that World of Warcraft's interface um, can, is really customizable, right? You can move stuff around, you can change it. Most people do. In fact, as you get sort of into high-end um, um, play, most people use a customized interface, whether they have you know, threat management stuff or custom um, um, information, you know, toolbars or, or mini maps or something like that. So it makes it a little weird. But um, one of the things I was thinking, uh, here's where it started. I was, I was playing, I, I'm a WoW player and I have a, a problem. It's like a 12 step, you know, program. <laughs> Hi, my name is Jeff. I play World of Warcraft. <laughs> First step is admitting it. Don't worry. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Hopefully that's the last step too. But, um, <laughs> Uh, so I was sitting there one day and I was playing and, um, we were in a raid. I was with my guild and we were in a raid and stuff. And I, I, I'm a, I'm a crazy screen capper. I, I screen cap kind of all the time. I have gigs and gigs worth of, of uh, screen caps and stuff just cause I find it really interesting and, and it looks cool and cool stuff's happening. And I was, uh, I was watching and, and I just, I just happened to look at it, uh, at the screen as, as we were in this raid and just think like, my God, look at all this stuff that's going on, all this information, my, my abilities and my action bar and, and my character and, and numbers flying around, damage and healing done. And there's 10 other people or nine other people with me. And there's bosses and ads and spawns and mobs and maps. And, you know, I mean, just on and on and on. And, and you know, it's this really complex moving space. And I started to think, well, you know, 
how in the world did I learn how to actually use that, you know, this interface? I mean, for all this stuff that's going on, what, you know, how do I make this sort of mean something to me? Um, at the same time, I, I had been working on some um, theoretical work by Gunther Kress and Theo Van Leeuwen, um, um, their work on, on seeing, you know, sort of uh, uh, analyzing images. Uh, and so I started thinking about, well, you know, we, we see images all the time. Um, what, in what ways do sort of games relate to what Cress and Van Loon were talking about? They were talking more about, you know, uh, pictures, uh, art, you know, static images, some movies and stuff. But, but I was thinking, well, what, how does a game relate to this? And they have a couple of interesting sort of ways of thinking about what, uh, you know, how, how a designer, how an artist or a photographer or, or you know, a maker of an image sort of uh, lays out and, 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 and uses some tools to, to help um, the viewer sort of make it meaningful to them. Um, things like, you know, where it's placed on the screen or, you know, in the image, whether it's in the center or it's, you know, near the edges, um, how it contrasts with other things on the screen, whether it's, you know, really, you know, really bright and everything else is dark or, or, or whether it blends in. And, and, and these are sort of tools that, that people use to, um, you know, designers use to help you sort of find what's important about that um, image and then help you, again, sort of make it meaningful in your head. So I, I started thinking, well, you know, WoW does this too. And what are the ways that they do it? Um, and I think I, I really kind of hit upon a couple of interesting things. I think interesting. And hopefully other people do too. Um, <laughs> I did. I did. Oh, good. Excellent. Uh, one thing they have to do is they have to orient you to the world, right? So there's all this crap that's going on that your character and your actions and the, and other players and all that sort of stuff. So they have to orient you to that. Um, and one of the ways that they do it in WoW and, and other games that do third person stuff is first of all, they put the, the character right, you know, kind of in the center of the screen. So you're always sort of tied to that character. Um, so if that's you, you know, if your avatar is you in, in that space, you're always kind of looking at yourself. So you're already, you know, you're orienting yourself kind of to the world. Um, the other thing that they have to do is show you, you know, what that world kind of looks like, how other people are in it, um, stuff like that. And then they also have to um, show you what, you know, what, how you can act in the world. And so in something like, wow, it's generally, you know, action bars, you know, you have the ability. So I, you know, if I'm playing a hunter, I have my scatter shot and I have my aim shot and all that sort of stuff. And they, they, they give you a toolbar sort of down at the bottom to, to um, show you what you can actually do in the world and stuff. And then um, the other thing that they, they do very well, wow does this excellently. And this, this goes back to, to, Jim G's work and, and other people have, have written about this too. The idea that the just in time and on demand information. Yeah. So, you know, for example, when I'm in the middle of a city, you know, just sort of hanging out, watching trade chat and stuff, I don't really care much about, you know, um, health or, uh, you know, my, what kind of damage I'm doing because I'm not doing any, right? So that information just isn't even there. But when I get into a fight, you know, I'm, we're fighting a boss or I'm, I'm killing a mob or something, suddenly that information is right in front of me. So it's just in time. It comes in right when I need it. Um, and it also gives it to you when you, you know, when you want to go to it, you can get it, that on-demand aspect. Um, and I find that really interesting that they can sort of pop information in and out sort of when you need it, but also when you want it. Um, WoW just does this really well. Other games do it too. I just pick WoW primarily because um, it justifies my $15 a month subscription. That, that I, <laughs> I, you can write that off, right? Correct. I, you know, I believe you can. I've never taken the time yeah. to Yeah, should. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then finally, the idea of, of um, thinking about that raid that I was in and, you know, that's high end sort of content. 
And, um, you know, so I've been playing for thousands of hours and I've been, been doing it a lot. And I'm a gamer, so I've been playing for years and years and stuff. So I, I bring this whole sort of toolkit for how I make the, the screen and what I'm looking at kind of meaningful. Um, but, you know, how, how do the designers and how do players deal with this idea of progressing? So when you, you start as a level one, you start out, you know, you only have a couple little pieces of information um, and you, you, you know, sort of build on top of that in order to sort of figure out what means something and when. Uh, so, you know, when you start out, you have very little kind of around you, you only have a couple of abilities, you know, stuff like that. When you get to end game content, there's all this stuff happening. So there, there's this sort of progression, this idea of progression. Um, and what I found most interesting about that is that from a designer's point of view, they actually work uh, almost in the opposite way. So they, they design around that end game sort of play the, the, where everything is there and available to you. And they actually have to sort of scale it down or gate it off for new players. Um, so, you know, big action bars and, uh, you know, your party information where they have your health or whatever, you know, are built into the interface and then they just take it away from you until you sort of get to it. I find that really interesting. And, and it relates really closely to what teachers do, right? So when you're teaching math or you're teaching, you know, any, any subject, whatever it is, um, you know where you want a student, hopefully, to, to kind of get to. Uh, and then you sort of help structure that, that in, you know, that instruction. You scaffold it for them as they sort of progress through that, as they learn more about it, learn how to use it and, and things like that to, to get them to maybe the place you want them to be. I know it sounds kind of prescriptive, but it's true. Differentiation, you know, you, you come up with a plan that, to get them where they need to go. Right. And it's it's different for each student. And when you if you ever see a World of Warcraft screen from person to person, I, I, I don't think you're going to find a similar screen. I mean, they'll be similar, but things will be moved around all over the place. Absolutely. You know, if you look at mine and you look at my, my friend who plays my guild and you look at you know, yours or whatever, it, mm -hmm. it will probably be different, yep. uh, like you said. And, and that was actually one of the things that, that as I was doing this um, particular research, uh, I found kind of problematic because of that sort of customized, uh, customizable nature of the interface that, that it really is. It's kind of like I think I use the metaphor of trying to describe boiling water, you know, the shape of boiling water. You, you yeah. kind of tell what what shape it is by what pot it's in. But the actual topography and stuff is always constantly moving and changing and shifting. and stuff. So, so do you see that as a, you see that as a problem? Uh, you know, I don't actually. I, th I think that could be very interesting. Uh, this came up in in the, the talk that I gave, actually in the, the QA. Someone asked, "Well, you know, how do uh, people who say tank or heal in World of Warcraft see it different than someone who does DPS and stuff?" And I think that could be a really interesting. Speaking of you know, customizable right. interface, but customizable sort of um, instruction or education or usage, that could be very interesting because Blizzard, oh, yeah. you know, has to build a tool that by itself everyone can use, but they give you the option to, to change it based on what how you need it and what you want from it. And that can right. be a really powerful model for, for what right. school can Well, it, d it depends on how you – you customize it the best way you think. Right, right. And it, it's – yeah, that, I think that that's the differentiation. You, you use it in the way that you want, and depending on what character you play, those change. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I don't care about – uh, you know, I play a hunter, so I don't care about anyone but me. But, um, <laughs> I, you know, I don't I generally don't care about, you know, uh, the, the health of my party and stuff the way that, uh, uh, you know, someone healing does. So they're yeah. you know, they might have uh, an add on like grid or, or you know something like that where they're it's central to their screen and it's big and it's large. Right. My, my my party bars are small and all tucked away in the corner and stuff because that's what I care about. Right. 
Um, and that's and why I like paladins because <laughs> I don't I can heal a little bit but not too much and I'm you know it's that split between the two. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. And and I think you also you hit on another sort of interesting thing that that you know you 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 modify the interface you know how you think it's best but Blizzard or the designers. Um, give you some some guidelines. You know, they they kind of through their default interface, kind of show you what is important. You know, you better be able to yeah. know what your health is and your enemy's health is, uh, what actions you have and what that sort of cooldown or when you can use them. You know, what what other people. You know, so they 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 give you some some signposts, I guess, and then you can yeah. figure out well, no, this is really important to me. I better change this, fix this, modify it, make it bigger, make it smaller, whatever. What I love, I love when uh, players are out there. And it could be kids all the way to, you know, who, whatever age, uh, where they'll come up with, I think this is the best way to build, you know, a paladin, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And, and they go through the, the step, step by step. This is why I think this. And then they back it up and they start doing, you know, some of them will start doing math, mathematical equations. They'll put them in Excel spreadsheets. They'll do comparisons. Absolutely. It's like, whoa, this is really getting in depth. But they want to prove their point because they know if they put an argument out there and they can't back it up. They'll get ripped. Yeah, yeah. and the, uh, by communities. Absolutely, and you know, people can. The uh, the other nice thing about some a game like World of Warcraft or something is that not only can they put that argument out there, people can go then test it and verify. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's not just some kind of arbitrary. Well, this is the best because I say it is. You know, you can really go and, <laughs> you better and back it up. Yeah, yeah, and so that could be a really powerful sort of um, you know rhetorical moment about how to make an argument, how to frame it, how to provide evidence, and and then how do you verify and stuff. So you know, in terms of writing and, and creating so you know i'm my my degree is in english and in rhetoric and composition so i'm i'm focused on that but it's also uh you know about sort of the scientific method right you have a hypothesis you can go test it you can verify it from other people uh and and then modify it based on sort of your your findings and i, I think theory crafting you know we're talking about theory crafting and, and that's i mean a crazy powerful way of of engaging uh, you know, critical thinking, argumentation, verification, and evidence—all those types of things are, are great. Very cool. Well, it seems like you have a similar background to uh, Jim G. Uh, within language arts. I do. Yeah, he's a linguist, and right. And um, I am a very bad linguist. Um, <laughs> but you know, I use <laughs> I use language. You, uh, hopefully, you use the language. I do. I do. You okay. know, he he is a, a trained linguist, and he'll he'll tell you the story all the time. And then oh yeah. He uh, realized that it's just, you know, no one cares, <laughs> kind of. But what's really powerful is is uh, the way that we can use sort of language to do things. You know, so, uh, you know, anytime we use any kind of tool, language is just, you know, a tool. Right. Um, we, we have a goal that we're trying to accomplish, whether it's to convince someone, it's to get action, it's to get something for us, whatever it is. And, and that, in a lot of important ways, is also how we use games. So we use games to accomplish some goal. You know, most of the times it's entertainment or, or mm-hmm. the thrill of the kill or whatever it is that you want. But, you know, we do other stuff. I, half of what I do in WoW is um, just standing around talking to people, which is great. It's just, you know, it's a social media tool that also oh, yeah. just happens to have internet dragons in it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I compare uh, Jim to uh, Tolkien. Um, <laughs> you know, Tolkien used, you know, his love of language yeah. uh, to write. And just he, basically the Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, that was all. It was basically a way for him to take what he loved and put it into something else. Absolutely. That's a great And, uh, yeah, so, and Jim, I, you know, that, it's kind of funny. It's just. 
similar backgrounds, I guess, in that in that respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, it says favorite. Wanted to ask you some questions. Favorite game that pertains to education. You 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 love WoW. What's, I do what's love something WoW. else that you really enjoy that pertains to education? Uh, you know, this sounds sort of like low-hanging fruit, I guess, but uh, we already talked about Portal, but Portal is an amazing game in terms of sort of educational potential and the ways you can use it. Um, they do some things really, really well. So we, we already hit on a couple of these, um, mm-hmm. so I won't belabor them, but, you know, yep. you, physics, <clears throat> you know, you can you can really embody some notions of physics. Now, whether in the actual release of Portal, you know, sometimes it's a little abstract and you have to think about, you know, momentum or, or velocity or things like that in that... Um, teach with portals uh from what i understand it's going to be a little more explicit the formulas might you know appear you might have more structured sort of lessons around it and stuff but but it it does again the idea of embodying some action of having some some practical way to make it meaningful to you i think is really powerful Um, i love the co-op oh my gosh the co-op is great i'll I'll get to that in a second yeah that's an amazing thing Um, again as a as an english you know, in language sort of scholar, um, I, you know, I'm really interested in the way they use narrative, especially in, <laughs> you know, the first one and the second one. Um, yes. Sarcasm, you know, it's a great tool for for teaching sarcasm. Um, listen oh, to Plato's change, you know, throughout the oh, yeah. stuff. I mean, just amazing. Um, if you've and never. Quite funny. What's that? And quite funny. And quite funny. I, you know, I mean, <laughs> literal laugh out loud kind of moments. My first time playing through it, I was I was laughing ridiculously if you've never played with the developers commentary too this is a great tool for um you know anyone kind of looking at the the game it, it, it they talk about why they made the choices they made and how they intended um uh for players to play it and and some of the feed you know the early testing that they got and they you know they had some um some la- uh, there's one uh, map where they said you know players would come up with these ninja solutions where they would solve a puzzle really quickly that the, the developers never thought about and they thought about taking them out, but then they decided, no, we want players to be able to develop these kinds of solutions. Right. So the, the thinking about one of the really important things I think that, that games can do for education um, is to help you know, students and teachers and, and uh, administrators and all that kind of thing to think like designers. Um, because we're always designing things in the world. You know, language is a design. We're designing the the words that I'm talking about right now. I'm designing in my head. Um, and so, you know, being able to be more cognizant of what that design is, why they made those choices, how it's being used, I think is is really really important for for students and for and for teachers. Um, and and the big one, this is the one that I think is most interesting, but kind of the most abstract about Portal. You know, one of their mar- marketing. Um, uh, phrases and stuff was the, the the think with portals and now they're using the teach with portals. Yeah, I think that's an amazingly brilliant kind of statement because it really does talk about what you really do in that world. You you see the world differently uh, when you're in portal by by starting to think with portals. So it re, you know it reframes your association with the world and I think that can be incredibly good for for learning. You know it's a, a kind of meta knowledge about you know what is space, how do I exist in it. Um, you know, what, what do I know about this world and what can I do in that world? You know, so thinking about thinking with portals, I think is, is awesome. Really great. And I, I, that's a game that just does it so, so well. Yes. Yep. Uh, I just found something here. Uh, I thought I heard this, but solving, um, somebody found a way, one player solutions to portal Two co-op. <laughs> Did you really? see that? No. Uh, they were, I think they're using no clip. So, uh, yeah, so, but it was just, it's still impressive. I mean, you know, just trying to figure out a way 
how would you do this? Yeah, yeah it's it's pretty that's pretty neat. Yeah, mm-hmm. a and lot the, of people thinking outside the box. Absolutely, and Literally. the multiplayer <laughs> is is interesting for a number of reasons. I mean, all multiplayer has some inherent sort of ways where you have to sort of communicate and stuff. But the the uh, multiplayer in Portal Two is is especially kind of interesting to me. So I played it. Um, my brother and I have been gaming together for, you know, more than 30 years now. So we, we know each other really well. And when we played it, we played it sitting kind of next to each other in the same room. So we could talk through all our puzzles and be like, uh, let me try this. Hang on. You know? And so we had this sort of face to face, um, connection and, and we could, we could verbalize our thoughts and we could think through and we could look at each other or whatever. We were looking at the same screen. Um, and so as we played through the, the co-op, we had that, that way of interacting with each other. He subsequently went on to play it uh, on Xbox Live with uh, just someone, you know, just a random sort of pickup co-op. And neither of them had mics, you know, not, neither of them had key, keypads to type messages or anything. Um, and so they had to do it all through sort of just the, that pointing interface and, and just yeah. watching each other move. And that to me, just the, that's cool. The, the difference between how you, you know, they were puzzle solving and how we puzzle solved was, was just, was fascinating. I was, was blown away by that. I used, I used Skype. Mm. <laughs> so I, I talked to my friend, Justin, like, and then we'd yell at each other. No, don't do that. And then, you know, it's like, why'd you do that? And so, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's quite funny. It, yeah. it, I bet we could have had some serious, uh, YouTube videos with that, just yelling at each other. Yeah. We, uh, we, we did some things that the developers probably didn't intent but we had a great time doing it you know trying to fling ourselves into each other and, and all kinds of crazy oh yeah things. and that's that's what that world is for right yeah definitely definitely what's going on uh at asu at the center for games and impact what are you guys working on what's kind of your agenda what aren't we working on? um <laughs> we you know we're, we're we're trying to look at games in a number of kind of uh ways you know one i talked about this a little bit at the top of the show but um, one of the things that we're really interested in is is how can games be used in the classroom? This is a question you know a lot of people are asking at at you know GLS. I mean there are 500 plus attendees, so clearly this has some legs. Um, we're also trying to think about not only how do you use games, but how do you use sort of game like um, thinking. So so you know play infused thinking or or you know it's a dirty word in some ways, but gamification. Ah. <laughs> yes, yes, it it, it has. Um, it had some bad connotations, but I think done well um, can be very, very powerful because what what you know games do is they help you know there's intrinsic motivation. You want to play. You know we're hardwired to play. So if you can make you know classrooms or your school experience a little bit more like that, where you you're, you're intrinsically motivated, you want to go in and just and, and do this stuff, and it doesn't feel like work. You know I mean that's that's very powerful. You know so, again gamification has this. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, just to kind of fit this in, because I've had this discussion with some local educators, you know, the chocolate covered broccoli, yes. um, you know, math blast or anything like that, uh, where you have, you know, what's two plus two, and then you shoot the uh, asteroid with a four. Um, <laughs> right, right. You know, now there's some things because there was a certain game uh, that my youngest daughter used for learning her math facts. And even though it was kind of that simple that chocolate covered broccoli, mm-hmm. it worked. And for part of me, it's just, just like, you know, sometimes that is okay. Yeah. Uh, but just know and have the understanding that games can do so much more. Absolutely. So much than that. So um, it, it is one tool yeah. that, you know, that, that simple math game 
just one tool, mm-hmm. but there's a wider spectrum out there. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that, that games can do really well, and this is, we're going to see this, I think, more and more in, in education and stuff. So a lot of game developers right now are talking about um, player-centered design. So instead of, you know, making the, the most awesome, graphically impressive sort of stuff, but having terrible mechanics, thinking a lot about how players sort of actually play the game and what they want and what they can do with it and stuff. <laughs> I think you can see that in, in the classroom, too, with sort of learner-centered content and instruction, where, where it's something that instead of saying, well, you know, I mean, this is a big problem, right? We have to teach to tests. We have all this skill and drill, standardized testing stuff. I'm, I'm hoping that, that games can help us see past that uh, and, and one way of doing that is getting sort of learner centered, um, instruction and design, you know, and, and content in the classroom where they can customize what's sort of interesting to them. Um, whether this is in a traditional classroom or this is in sort of, you know, e-learning kind of environments. Um, so do you think, do you think, I mean, the example that comes to my head is, head is Minecraft. Talk sure. about not visually, you know, you know, it's just 16 bit block, you know, it's just blocks, it's <laughs> yeah, just Legos, yeah. but it's so open to you that you can and i've showed this to teachers and they're just they're thoroughly impressed they're oh, yeah. like you can build anything so i show them the alamo mm-hmm. uh this kid that lucas gillespie showed me uh, a while back he built basically the alamo to scale wow. which is a project you have to do in texas you have to do a 3d model and then this professor out in uh in australia building a 3d model of of a cell yeah and the teachers are just blown away that you can build just about anything yeah so it opens up so much more to where the teachers can help guide or the students can explore on their own and take it where they want it. Absolutely. And, you know, think about, think about how powerful that is for that student who can take the motivations that, you know, he or she has. Um, I really want to, you know, build this thing and you can go do it. And, and yeah. that, I mean, that's where deep learning really comes from, right? You're in, you're engaged, you're motivated, you have the time to sort of play with it and, and think it through. Uh, and, and that to me just, just screams good learning, you know, that well, it's, we grew uh, you know, age wise, I don't know, but here, uh, for all of us, but I grew up with Legos yeah. and Lincoln logs. And so I look at Minecraft as the modern day Legos. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. With zombies running around them. chasing them. Yeah. What's, you what's can't, that? Yeah. You can't step on them. Can't, can't step, step on them. How? Yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. More engineers, I think have, uh, come out of, uh, Legos than MIT. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Lego other, University. Yeah, Lego University. Lego University. Yeah. The other, uh, well, they do workshops, right, in like uh, business meetings and stuff where you have to like play with Legos. It's like a, a, a team building exercise or something like that. Yeah. You know, play can be really powerful. Right? You know, play can can do so much. Uh, and, and this is the thing again that, that games do well that the classroom doesn't is that it gives you a chance to just sort of you know play. You can you can spend some time, uh, you know, um, screwing around in the water, right? The horizontal kind of learning, see what's going on, see what's happening before you start climbing that ladder. Um, games do that really well. Uh, and, and classrooms, unfortunately, just the way the institution is set up now where we have, you know, um, two weeks to teach you fractions and we got, you know, one week to do division and, and you know, three weeks to do Shakespeare or whatever it is. You know, because we're on the clock, you often take away the ability for learners to sort of play in the water. Uh, and, well, and games yeah. change that, I think. Yeah. You know, I have 50 minutes with my class. Right. Uh, okay, let's start a game. Yeah. Uh, okay, we got to go. Uh, that's why civilization works out okay, because I can save it and they can come back the next day. Right. right. Uh, because it's a turn-based game. So mm-hmm. that's that's works out in that setting. 
but honestly, the kids, if they had a choice, they could sit there for a few hours and not have any problems at all. Absolutely, absolutely. But so, I don't have you know, this, I don't have the flexibility to do that. You know, this, this really highlights one of the the big problems with you know we're you know modern sort of American education is tied to some very old models of learning and of instruction, and and the institution itself takes a long time to change. So how how do we do that? You know, you could uh, you could you could demolish it uh, for for lack of a better term, you know, you can get rid of the institution, just start over. That won't happen. Right. So the other alternative is to, you know, gradually in, in, um, involve these types of learning activities, these types of instruction, these types of sort of seeing the world into what we're asked to do in the classroom. Um, it's not an ideal solution, but you know, it could potentially make change just slower, slower than I'd like. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, I'm a public school educator. I, I, think public school education is, is key uh, to our country and our, our success as a nation. But I also do think that uh, charter schools do have a positive and you can sure. learn from charter schools and they do have the flexibility to come up with ideas and flexible time for activities such as games. Uh, and we can learn from that. So yeah, there are some phenomenal charter schools out there. There mm -hmm. are some that are not. There are great public schools there are some that are not so but charter schools like i said give a give the flexibility so that is one positive of the charter schools and there's some around here that have that have done um done different things especially when it's come to learning and with games and others parents have asked why can't we do this uh, school boards are asking principals are asking superintendents yeah. are asking why can't we do this and so hopefully that that discussion is increasing Yes. of making those changes mm -hmm. yeah, you know i mean one you know it's like what we were talking about the 12 step uh this you know we need a 12 step intervention for schools uh yeah. first of all you got to recognize yeah. that it's a problem uh and that you know i mean that is quite possibly the biggest hurdle you know it's saying that the, the the current model we have of skill and drill um you know assessment and and standardized tests and stuff just simply is is not what we need to be doing to teach and stuff. You know, you, uh, you hit on another thing that I'm really interested in right now. You said you have 50 minutes with your, with your students. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, there's a, and I'm afraid that the author who wrote this there, her name escapes me right now, but, um, talks about ubiquitous learning that we're always learning, right? So why do we segment school off into these little chunks? And when you go to school, you're there to learn. And when you leave school, you're done learning, you know, to me it just seems like the worst possible mindset you could have that we're constantly learning. And if you could engage, you know, uh, uh, learners, I mean, learners as in everyone, um, to, to think that they're always constantly in the process of learning new things, modeling new things, practicing with new things, applying new knowledge, um, that could change how we view school just in and of itself, that we're, that we're always learning. When I go to the grocery store, I learn something. When I'm yeah. driving my car, I learn something. When I'm talking right now, I'm learning something. Why do we segment it off just to, to school? And then when school's done, I'm done learning. You know, that, that's, that's dangerous, yeah. I think. Or would I have the kids uh, do some activities that involve math and science within my social studies classroom? And they're just like, why, why are we doing math? We're in social studies class. <laughs> I'm like, time. are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. So I have, a, I, have a, um, I have a saying that social studies is everything. And that's why I do like teaching it because mm. I, it is everything. Yeah. And I can teach math. I can teach science because it's the history of, of all those subject areas. And I can touch upon each of them. And that, that just 
that makes it enjoyable for me. But I agree that learning should happen all the time. Um, yeah, it's it, it, it does get frustrating. So any future projects, anything that's going on? I mean, um, what's, um, what, what are the big things that are happening at the Center yeah. for Game, Games so, and Impact? Uh, we're, we're working on a number of interesting things. We, we sort of got derailed on what the center is. So let me get back to that. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, uh, right now, again, because we're sort of in the, the development stage, we're still sort of uh, incubating what the center is. We don't officially launch until the fall. We've been working on this now for um, really since about the start of the year and, and a little bit beforehand and stuff. But um, we're still trying to establish what it is exactly that we're doing. But um, we, we really want to look at, at games and, and the impact that games can have and stuff in sort of three different ways. Um, one is, is how we understand it. So this is a little bit academic and stuff, but, but you know, how, what are these games? What can they do? What do they do well? And what don't they do? Um, then we want to think about actually designing games. So not only creating games, but what are the design choices that go into games we like? You know, World of Warcraft or Portal or Minecraft or whatever it is. Um, and then third is the idea of scaling. How do you, how do you have these... Um, these impacts, you know, that we say that the games can do these things. How do you uh, broaden the impact that it can have? So both in in terms of sort of publishing games and getting people to play those games, but then using those experiences and that knowledge and that that impact uh, to a, a broader extent. Um, you know, playing a game like Hush or Darfur is Dying or something like that are, are amazing experiences, but they're usually one-offs. Um, they're, they're usually things that, you know, you, you learn a little something about the conflict that they're, they're talking about, and then you, you can think about it, but then, you know, kind of that's it. How do you expand yeah. on that, that, that knowledge, that feeling, that emotion, that, that drive for you to make something happen? That, that's a big, uh, question. And not just in games, you know, the Coney 2012 controversy, right? Um, yeah. you know, talks about this. All right. So we know a little something about, you know, this, this horrible situation. So what, you know, and maybe you gave some money to it. What does that mean? You know, what, what kind of, is that a lasting impact for you? Is that a lasting impact for society? You know, what, what, what is that? And, and how do you expand that to actually make real change in a situation? Um, you know, games are like this. I don't know if I recommend to anyone listening, you should play the game hush. Um, it's a, it's a very, very interesting game, but I, I, I imagine you'll probably only play it once. Uh, <laughs> so I, I'll, I'll just talk about it really quickly. Um, it's a game, it's a little bit like, um, it's a rhythm game, a little bit like a guitar hero or something like that, where you have to hit a key at a certain point, you know, to, to make something happen. Um, very interesting game in that there are no visuals other than the, the symbol for the key that you're supposed to hit. And, um, uh, the, the premise is that you're a mother um, in a, a tribe in, um, yeah, gosh, I, it's in Africa. I, I can't remember the actual, seeing here we go. There's the impact. It didn't really stick with me. except for <laughs> So this is, this is a terrible example. But, um, so, you know, and, and there are rebels uh, coming through the town and, and killing basically all the villagers. And, um, you have a child and you need to, to, to hush this child, to silence this fussing kind of child or else they're going to find you. Um, and so as you're playing, you know, you have to hit the key uh, at the certain time, you know, whether it's W or Q or three or whatever it is in order to sort of, you know, calm the child. Uh, and and if you don't, you know, the rebels will hear you and come kill you. And so when I played it, it was, it was I was part of a class and we had the lights off and it was in front of about 20 people and stuff. And I got up in front of the computer and was playing it. And all you hear is just this 
um, you know, this child sort of fussing and, and, and you hear some, you know, gunfire in the background and everything. And, and as you're playing it, um, you have to hit the keys. And I started screwing up. I'm a bad rhythm gamer anyway, but it, it was especially bad because I was so concerned about what was happening to me and this child, right? So I started screwing up and I missed the keys and I missed the keys and they got closer. And then they eventually found me and shot me and that's the game. And and to this day, I mean, I played that several years ago. And to this day, I mean, I get goosebumps from it. Just the emotion that it 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 it, it charged up in me uh, was so powerful. But again, I can't even remember the name of the country that this happened. Rwanda. I mean, that's partially my problem. But you know, so what impact did that really have? Yes, it, it highlights this problem. Yes, it shows you that you know people experience this you know in their day to day lives. Um, what can we actually do with that knowledge? Uh, and that's a big challenge. And that's one of the things we're really looking at at the Center for Games and Impact, where, where so what? So I had this experience and so it riled me up. Now what? What can you do to actually make something of that experience? Yeah, it was Rwanda. Rwanda, thank you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it, yeah, it kind of uh, hits you in the gut. It really, again, I mean, this is no joke. I have goosebumps when I think about that experience. Yeah. Really was powerful, and this is something that games do well. But, again, what's the connection between that experience, that feeling, and then going and actually having you know, some, some kind of action, um, you know, some kind of impact beyond just saying, wow, I know about an experience in the world that, that you know, is, is horrible and that people live with in their day-to-day lives, and, and now what? Yeah. Yeah, that's, um, you know, and I don't know if it's certain games that I've played that are basically generic. They're they're, they're science fiction or fantasy. Um, they're not, they could be, ba- they are based on, you know, human um, uh, interest and uh, ideas. And sometimes I think playing those games, um, I can make the connections to, everyday or historical events or everyday things that happen in our lives with within our world today and that i think some of those games are ways that um you know you can make those uh connections where you're playing more than more than once right so you know i'm trying to trying to think of the top of my head i'm just saying like settlers of Catan. oh yeah uh you know you have uh, you can set up the board whatever way you want uh you can have geographic uh features within it and then you can make connections to certain things i i I don't know i'm like i said i'm just thinking outside the box Uh, there's different modifications within civilization where Mm. you could have just made up names and people and then you can make those connections to what you're learning about um within your soul studies class Mm -hmm. so i'm having trouble remembering some of those games but you know (laughs) i've seen like I said, I've I've played some, uh, sure, sure. but just generic types of things that that you can make connections to. Um, I think that maybe that's the importance of it because when you see something like Hush, that is a real life situation. Absolutely. And it's something that okay, I don't need to see that over and over again. Right. Um, that that makes that impact. But maybe you have a game where there could be a situation like this that uh, comes up. And it could just be one aspect within a broader game. Well, even Star- Knights of the Old Republic, there's there's an example. You have situations in there where you're making decisions about 
people and their life. Mm-hmm. Do you help them? Do you not help them? Right. Do you are the dark side or, you know, are you leading towards the light? Um, you're making decisions in there. I know Sasha um, um, is, is a Barab or um, how do you pronounce his last name? Uh, Barab. Barab, sorry. Sure. Um, he talks about fable. Right. And the decisions that you make in there. Well, those are generic. Uh, it's, a, it's a fantasy world. It's not real, but you can right. make connections to. Now I'm making sense. I mean, you can make connections to <laughs> real life events and or history. Absolutely. Okay, I pulled myself out of the. I pulled myself out of the hole. Very there nice. we go. I, it, sometimes it takes a while. It takes <laughs> you know, a while. There, there's another way of thinking about what you know. So a game like Hush or a game like Fable or, or something like that is a way of sort of modeling, you know, some behavior and and uh, having an experience that can you know tie you into you know, world events or anything like that. Um, but there, you know, so, you know, again, the question is, you know, so what, what do you do with that stuff? Yeah. There are other games that actually tie the, the play of the game into actual sort of, you know, real world sort of consequences and actions. So something like fold it, um, yes. so play fold it and stuff and, and you're playing the game and, you know, the, as a game, it's, you know, it's all right. Um, but what happens is, you know, you're, you're participating in this larger sort of citizen scientist project and, and the things that you do, uh, in the game actually have potentially real world consequences. So, um, you know, there's that group of folded, uh, users who, uh, um, identified a, a, a particular wet, a protein fold that actually, yes. um, uh, went on to be able to, to be used in medical uh, procedures and stuff. And, and well, they were searching that, for an answer for, I think it was years. And these and the gamers figured it out in weeks. In weeks, yeah, weeks. And Just and I think there, it, there's yeah. a funny controversy over, you know, they published a paper about it in, was it Nature or Science, one of the two, and they had, you know, hundreds of, of authors, you know, and how do you how do you cite that in this really reputable, you know, <laughs> kind of thing? And it, yet there are hundreds and hundreds of, of players who were the authors and stuff. Yeah. But, you know, that that's a model of, of being able to tie in gameplay with real action. Uh, and, and that's a very interesting one. Um, so, you know, how can you can we make games? First of all, can we? And then if so, how can we make games that actually do have um ways of tying in what it is that you're doing to, to, to real impact sort of areas to, to actually showing and doing in the world rather than just having that experience. I, there's value. I mean, don't, I don't want this to sound as if I, I don't find value in a game like Hush or Darfur is dying or, you know, any of those types of games. They're, they're amazing experiences. Um, it, it's also a powerful model to have what you do really you know, actually exists kind of in the world and, and make real change as you're playing. That's a really cool model. Yeah, that's that's very cool. Well, I think on that high uh, positive note, I think we shall uh, end today's podcast. We have we're like we got to be an hour and ten minutes now. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So we're we're getting there. But Jeff, I can't thank you enough. Um, this was wonderful. I think we could have talked for a lot longer than this too. So Absolutely. I think we'll have to contact you in the in the future and uh, have you back on. I would. So any last comments, Jeff? Um, only that I'm really glad that something like this podcast exists. Um, I, I think this is a great way of sort of you know extending the discussion about what we do. Uh, with technology and with games in the classroom that, that can really uh, uh, reach an audience that, that needs to be engaged in this sort of conversation. So uh, thank you guys for doing this, and, and thanks for having me. I'm really glad to do it. I'd love to come back anytime. I could, I could blab for hours. <laughs> we all have that gift, it seems, in this, in this area. Jerry, 
uh thanks for coming on it was a fantastic uh gls presentation i really enjoyed it and uh, glad we had the opportunity to run into you and uh when you're back in town let me know and uh we'll we'll, we'll continue the chat in person Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's Ed Gamer Podcast. Please follow us on edreach.us and also follow, follow all the great podcasts and blog posts on the EdReach Network. Have a great week.